Hello, and welcome to Rewire. Whether you're a baby boomer or a baby zoomer, a millennial or an elder ally, enjoying retirement or planning ahead, this podcast provides you with the information and inspiration to help you live your best life. And now, here's our host, Duchess Dale. Gone fishing? Well, maybe you have, but I'm here recording episode number four for Rewire. This is Duchess Dale, and today is National All or Nothing Day, which I think is a pretty good day to celebrate some of the miscellaneous things that I want to wrap up for the month of July. I will start with the fact that I happen to have an Apple Watch. And with that comes an app that allows me to track fitness and activities. I have it programmed to remind me eight times a day to stand up. This is a really good thing to do when you're someone like me who sits in front of the computer all day or you're older or both. And often when I get the reminder on my watch, I stand up or I do a little dance. Well, this week, something inspired me to go to YouTube and look up the song Stand by Sly and the Family Stone. Uh, You may remember that if you're a baby boomer like me. Well, this time I was able to listen to the song I haven't heard in decades and read the wonderful lyrics. Now, with the exception of one small politically incorrect lyric, it is really a powerful anthem. And in fact, this album was considered an artistic high point of the band's career. It was released on May 3rd, 1969. Well, this month, a few days ago, was an opportunity to ask oneself, where were you on July 20th, 1969? That has now become the anniversary of the moon landing. And what's very exciting is last month, NASA revealed the names of the astronauts who will be the first people to fly around the moon since 1972. On the Artemis II mission, NASA will land the first woman and the first person of color on the moon. That is so exciting. Now their names are Victor Glover, Christina Koch, Reed Wiseman, and Jeremy Hansen. And they have been assigned to soar beyond the far side of the moon on NASA's Artemis II. Now, the crew's in training and, you know, press stuff. And they got a pre-pep talk from Charlie Duke, who walked on the moon on the Apollo 16 mission in April 1972. Now, NASA hasn't trained a crew to fly the moon since Apollo 17 at the end of 1972. So this is big news. And I think it's a lovely flashback for those of us who are baby boomers. And by the way, here's a little bit of trivia for you, Artemis. Why perhaps did they choose the name Artemis? Artemis was the Greek goddess of chastity, hunting, and the moon. She is often depicted with her trusty bow and arrow and are wearing a short tunic to aid running through the woods. Her maidenly virtue, for which she swore never to marry, was presented in counterpoint to the passionate and fiery Aphrodite. And Artemis was the twin sister to Apollo. Being that it's summer, you might have already gone fishing. 
However, today we're going to go fishing a little bit differently as I welcome back my guest, Tim Strzok, the CIO for the Aging and Long-Term Services Department. I am so excited to welcome back. Our guest today is Tim Strzok, and he is the CIO for the Aging and Long-Term Services Department. And we have a lot more to talk about. For those listeners who may have not heard your first podcast, would you tell us a little bit about what you do, Tim? Absolutely. Thanks again for having me. I always enjoy our conversations. As Duchess said, my name is Tim Strzok. I am the Chief Information Officer, CIO for Aging and Long-Term Services here in New Mexico. What does that mean? It's a big title, lots of words, lots of acronyms. Essentially, I am responsible for all of the information technology infrastructure for the Aging and Long-Term Services Department. I provide, my team provides support for the agency as well as all the folks that we serve, which are the citizens of New Mexico, specific in the areas of our adult disabled population and our older adults. We provide services in a myriad of different ways for these individuals. I have to make sure that the technology that we use is kept up to date, current, and safe as we provide those services. It's a very large landscape that we cover, but what we do and what I do in a nutshell. That is a big landscape and an essential one and our lifestyles are so geared around our devices, whether the small ones in our hands or the bigger ones that we use, we rely so much on technology that I think it's important for all of us to know it, but in particular for the older population to stay current with that. So I'm glad you and your team are there for all of us. Thank you. Yes, it's wonderful to see how we can start to fill in some of the gaps in the areas of technology with our older adult populations. Really, it's wonderful to see how many have adapted to technology over the years. As you just alluded to, everything that we do is pretty much in the palm of our hands nowadays. With that comes some concerns as we talk about. I'll encourage our listeners to listen to our first podcast where we talk a little bit about some of the technology challenges. It's exciting to see how we can leverage technology to help make our lives. Let's talk about two things today that might be a little daunting or confusing. Let's talk about what is the dark web? I think the connotation of that term, dark web, may make some folks uncomfortable. It's kind of one of those things where you'll see in a science fiction movie where somebody's on the dark web. The dark web is more than the way it's fantasized in science fiction. It does exist in our world. What is it exactly? The dark web is basically a network on the World Wide Web, on the internet that exists, that's only accessible through certain browsers. In other words, you have to have a particular piece of software in order to access the dark web. You can't just launch your Chrome browser or Firefox and and find the dark web. You have to go through what's called a Tor or a what the Tor stands for is the Onion Routing Network. So a Tor is is the way that that you can access the dark web. You would have to connect to specific type of servers. Oftentimes, there's anonymous ways to get in. And that's really why folks use the dark web. On the surface, it's not illegal. It's not illegal oh. to access the dark web. Unfortunately, because of the anonymity and some of the privacy around it, it's isolated from the internet as a whole. That's where a lot of illegal activities may occur. That's where I think we hear and see a lot of that focus is, Oh, it's found on the dark web. Again, it's kind of a subset of the internet, but it's only accessible via a specialized software or a particular type of software. It is used and like, like any technology platform. We want to believe that it's there for our use in a positive way, but unfortunately, it can also be used for malicious purposes. And so the dark web is often used 
to exploit for hackers for different types of spyware and ransomware and things of that nature. The short version of that, for most of us, we really don't have to be as concerned about the dark web. It's, as you say, a lot of fodder for science fiction and for other activities, but it's not really something that we're going to land on randomly. Correct. There has to be some intent to be able to access the dark web again because of the nature of how it's structured and keeping that privacy, that anonymity, and kind of the segregation from the internet as a whole. You have to have a specialized browser or client to be able to access it. You're not going to just kind of stumble on a web page and boom, you're in the dark web. It's really going to be more intentional. It's the connotation around it and really what it is, a segregated piece of the internet it's only accessible through a particular mechanism and primarily, unfortunately, used for illegal stuff that you wouldn't be able to just put on the open Internet. I'm not thrilled that that's happening out there. And yet it's a comfort to know it's not something that I'm going to be browsing on the web and land in this rabbit hole called the dark web accidentally. You mentioned two words, and I'm going to add a third that I'd love for you to help define. It's Spyware, ransomware, and malware. We got lots of where, and I want to know where we find <laughs> where, <laughs> where, 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 where where tell us about that because we hear so much about all of that, and it would be good to understand them. Sure. Spyware. What does that mean? Where is just a, another term for basically software. It's a shortened version of the word software. So you add a prefix in front of that and you can kind of gauge what it means. Spyware is just that. Spyware is a piece of software that effectively lands on your computer, potentially through clicking a link or downloading some software you're not sure of. And what it does is it does just that. It spies on you. The intent of spyware is to mainly capture private information. It's often used by hackers so that they can gain things like your social security number, your passwords, your personal information. And so why is spyware damaging? Well, what happens if somebody gets your login credentials to your bank? They can make transfers to whomever. They can drain bank accounts. They can have your personal information to try to open up information on your behalf, open up credit lines or things of that nature. This is why it's important that as we're browsing on the internet, whether it's on our smartphones or our laptop computers, especially in our laptop computers, that we have antivirus and that type of protection. Often now, these antivirus platforms incorporate various mechanisms to detect spyware and ransomware and things of that nature. It's important to make sure that you keep yourself safe as safe as possible. Again, as I talked in one of our earlier sessions, being mindful of what you're doing, what you're downloading, what you're clicking on is the best protection that you can have. Knowing what you're doing, knowing what you're clicking on, making sure that if you're installing a piece of software, that it's from a legitimate software developer, that you're not just downloading some random site and putting the software on your computer. Those are things that you can do to kind of take the precautions. Spyware is just that. It spies on you in, with the intent of capturing information to be used for malicious purposes. The second one you mentioned was ransomware, which we've heard of a lot. The ransomware <clears throat> market has become a big market for hackers. What does ransomware do? It does it does exactly that. It is software that's designed to lock you out of your computer in order to push for a ransom payment to the hackers so that you can get your data back. It, what ransomware will do is it'll encrypt your information on your computer or on your networks to a point where you can't access any of that. Now, from a personal computing perspective, let's say you're at home and on your computer and you somehow end up with a piece of ransomware. 
Well, oftentimes you'll get a screen that pops up that says your computer's locked. You need to transmit X amount of money to this place within X amount of time in order for us to decrypt or unencrypt your laptop so you can access your file. Now, that can freak a lot of people out, and rightfully so. I know a lot of folks have a lot of family pictures and documents and things of that nature on their laptops, and so you don't want to ever lose that information. But the best thing to do is always have a backup, if you can, of your information on maybe an external drive, backup periodically so that you save those files. I'm not saying that that's an end-all, be-all to a ransomware solution, but that can at least help mitigate in the case of a ransomware attack. More from the corporate or the enterprise level, when companies or governments or anybody gets hit with ransomware, it can have a really big economic impact on the company or on the organization. Because in a larger environment at your home, it might be your laptop and maybe a couple of others connected on your local network. Let's think of an agency like mine. We have approximately 250 employees at Aging and Long-Term Services, but we're part of a bigger network. We're part of the state of New Mexico network, and we've got probably 20,000 people on the entire state of New Mexico network. So we're always having to be cognizant of how we, we try to prevent these types of things, making sure that we're up to snuff as far as our security patching, our computers and our servers in that regard, that we're hardening our networks. What I mean by hardening is making sure that we patch any holes. Software has what we call vulnerability. Maybe it's a piece of code that was left in. Maybe over time, it was something that was discovered that can be exploited, that can be harnessed to be malicious. What's important in my role and, and my other colleagues throughout the state that are CIOs and IT experts and IT directors, that, that we make sure that our networks are patched and that we're running the those updates consistently. But on an enterprise level, when that happens, when they're hit by ransomware, it can have a huge economic impact because if you can't access your files, then that's an issue. But it's also compromising people's information. That's a concern for us. That's a costly thing. What was the last one you asked me about? Malware. Malware. Malware is just that. It's it's malicious software that, that ends up residing on your computers, can do a myriad of things, but it can incorporate some spyware. It can incorporate maybe a lot of pop-up ads, targeted ads, things of that nature. You just get caught in that. It's just the nuisance software. Really more nowadays, people are really trying to just capture information because that's the big thing, being able to exploit people's information. Ransomware is big because these hackers are basically trying to force regular individuals on their personal home laptops or even organizations to pay in order to get their information back. It costs billions of dollars every year. You do a quick Google search of who's been impacted by ransomware, you'll find out it's happened to quite a few folks, not just businesses, but also local governments, state governments. There was a breach recently, if you read on the news that a couple of federal agencies were hit it's a common occurrence. And this is why we have to be, again, mindful of what we're doing, making sure we're not clicking. But on the flip side, it's important for folks in the IT world to understand that we have to be diligent in making sure that our computers are up to date with the latest software, with the latest antivirus, with the latest patches. I know we tend to be like, oh, I don't want to reboot my computer for updates, but those <laughs> updates are there for a reason. They help address some of those security vulnerabilities to keep you safe. I appreciated the definitions of those three. And that was a nice plug because every time, every once in a while, you get the new updates. Didn't I just do that yesterday? It's a good reminder that that's really for our benefit. What I heard you say, which was another reminder about backing things up or getting an external hard drive. These are the things that we as average citizens and consumers can do. And we did talk a little bit last time about password protection and changing them more often, you mentioned antivirus software. Mm -hmm. And 
obviously neither of us are here to plug a brand or type. And I have to admit for many decades, I didn't need to do that or want to do that because of the type of equipment I used didn't have that much of a breach. Now it seems that it's probably a good preventative measure for everybody to have antivirus software. Is that what I heard? Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Just for our users, for some context to that is for several years, MacBooks were not as prone to virus attacks as Windows-based computing systems, right? right? That just had to do with their underlying architecture. And then where that became kind of an issue or a challenge is when several years ago, going back a little bit now, Macintosh was actually allowing Intel chips within their platforms, right? Mm-hmm. So that Macs used to be a very closed architecture. They used a specific microprocessing chip and specific hardware. They had only certified vendors that they could use. So that's why MacBooks were a little more pricey on the market is because they used very specific components to build their MacBooks. In a measure of some cost effectiveness, they started allowing Intel chips because Intel chips, even though they're designed and developed by Intel, they're scalable to various platforms. And the thing about it is that the chip might be Intel, but then the other the other pieces of hardware could be from various providers. And so so the architecture, without getting too deep into the into the technical side of it, the architecture was a little more vulnerable to certain virus attacks. If you were a Mac user, especially on an Intel architecture, an Intel chipset, that you would have antivirus. I think now it's just a general rule of thumb. It's encouraged to have some type of protection on your computer, whether it's a Mac, whether it's a Windows-based PC. Most of the stuff you can find out there is free. Microsoft has a product themselves that comes pretty standard with the Windows operating systems called Microsoft or Windows Defender. So it's oh. kind of a built-in antivirus that'll provide a base level of protection. There's been some that have been players in the game for a long time. McAfee is one. Norton, this is now known by Symantec. There's a myriad of antiviruses out there. If you have a favorite, great. But at minimum, have some sort of protection on there. Because it's not just viruses that are coming after you nowadays. These platforms will also protect against different types of malware and spyware and ransomware and be able to detect other anomalies that that maybe make sure that if you're browsing to a questionable website, it'll warn you, hey, you're going to a bad website or a questionable website. I think having that base layer of base level of protection is always a good thing, regardless of the platform that you use. I'm thrilled to hear that. is applicable for whether you are a notebook laptop user or a desktop. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Thank you. Then what else? What else? And I still haven't gotten to the exciting AI stuff. That may be chapter three. I don't know. Phishing, which when you first hear it, it doesn't sound the way it's spelled in IT, which is P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G. Phishing, which is part of spoofing, et cetera. Could you talk a little bit about what the heck that is? Absolutely. I think the easiest way is think of it like traditional fishing, like you're going to go in a stream and toss your rod in and hope to catch a fish. The intent of fishing in the IT world is to get individuals to provide information that can be used for malicious purposes. We've all seen those emails. Click here. You've just won a $3,000 Walmart gift card, right? (laughs) Click here to claim. That excites people. Wow. what What did I sign up for something? The moment you click on that link, there's a couple of things that could potentially happen. By clicking on that link, you could now have some type of malware or 
viruses that are put onto your computer in order to capture more information. Hackers are getting smart with how they do this type of thing because oftentimes you think they can't install software on my computer. I'm the only administrator and only I have the password. Phishing attempts are multifaceted in the sense that you click here and the next thing you know, verify your password. Now you verified your password. Now they have your master password. It's kind of a social engineering attempt. It can happen through email. It can happen for somebody calling you and asking you for information, trying to get you to tell certain things. How many times have we gone on a website and we have to set up security questions and they say, you know, list your, your favorite elementary school teacher. What's your favorite <laughs> color? Those security questions are designed so that if you have to validate who you are as an individual, whether you're calling in or logging on through a website, Keep note of that, especially if you get those calls that we talked about in, in a prior session where they're asking you very pointed questions to try to get information. They're phishing. They're trying to capture information by using certain hooks and trying to get you to divulge information, whether it's through an online platform like an email or a website or whether it's on a phone call and they're trying to ask you. We've always trained folks to be very protective of personal information, regardless if it's online or even even having a conversation with another individual. As humans, as we have this social interaction, when somebody engages us, we want to have that conversation. And so sometimes we can often lose kind of awareness of what information we're divulging because we get into that social conversation. That's really how phishing has been successful. It's a social engineering practice that allows hackers to try to get information about you so that they can use it to obtain whatever they're trying to obtain, whether that's your bank information or maybe proprietary information. It's big in the intellectual property world. If you've ever worked for or had familiar exposure to intellectual property companies, I used to work for one back in the day where their core of their business was based on intellectual property. We had to be very aware of what we were doing when we were talking to individuals or when we were providing information. There was always ways to validate that the person that we were giving information to actually could be receiving that information. So fishing is just that. Think of it just like tossing a rod, a line down the river to try to catch a fish. Fishing is used, it's a social engineering tactic used by hackers, by individuals that are trying to get information out of you to try to get to bigger pieces of information or obtain other information about you or your organization that you work for. Thank you. I think you used a phrase that it puts a whole perspective on it for me, which is the social engineering. That's why I think we are drawn to it. I, I spoke to someone from the social security office and she was talking about how you're not going to get a call from the social security office saying, we're going to hold your benefits. So now verify your number with me, et cetera, that there is something about that, that we need we as consumers need to take a second or third look or ask another question before we offer any of the proprietary information that we have, whether it's on the web for a quote end quote free gift certificate, or if it seems too good to be true, it might be <laughs> too good yeah. to be true. One more question. And I think you mentioned last time how we can look at an email address Mm -hmm. to be able to identify that it may not be coming from where you think it's coming from some commercial provider like you you mentioned Walmart or whatever that that comes across and if you go up to the email and check that sender information you'll suddenly see it has all kinds of different letters and numbers and has nothing to do with the company it purports to represent 
Um, Absolutely. And I want to touch on that a little bit again for our listeners is it's very sometimes easy to overlook. So you go to the sender and it says, you know, mail at walmart.com. But instead of Walmart being spelled W-A-L-M-A-R-T, maybe there's an additional L or another T. Oftentimes, those are things that we can overlook because our eye catches it and says, oh, it looks like Walmart, right? Mm-hmm. And I understand that we often sign up for notices and coupons and things from the legitimate companies themselves. Again, if somebody's just randomly emailing you to claim a $3,000 gift certificate and you don't <laughs> recall ever signing up, it's a highly likely chance that it's a spam attempt to get information from you. And, and it's just, again, being cognizant. And I know, I, I understand that in, in these times with, with the cost of everything going up, we all want to hope that we're going to win the lottery big or we're going to get that <laughs> big break. But at the end of the day, it's about being mindful of what you're doing on the internet when you're there, protecting yourself, protecting your information. The Social Security Administration, again, when you're signing up for benefits, but they're going to have various mechanisms to verify your information and who you are. And there's going to be a pretty secure process on how to provide that information to them. If you're needing to verify something or they're asking you for a credit card to verify, that should be a key red flag because most government entities aren't going to ask for a credit card to verify your information. Right. They already most likely have your information. And the, the way that they'll verify it is typically by asking you for, right, when you call in the last four of your social, if they're asking you to enter all this information and should be a key indicator that it's, it could be a potential phishing site and a potential compromise sites, you're being mindful and remembering to try to keep your wits about you, if you will, as you're browsing the web, if you get an email, let that excitement die down for a second, then look and think before you click, because oftentimes that that leads to more heartache after the fact. People click on these emails or provide some information. It can be very damaging to a person's information because they could use that information to open up credit lines or cause harm, drain your bank account. So you hear those scams that happen. And it's unfortunate, especially when you're already struggling in a certain financial situation, you don't want to go have to go through that additional headache of potentially being compromised by clicking on an email. Yes. And as you said, the hackers, spammers, or the dark webbers, whoever they are, have gotten smarter. Some of those spam emails, the phishing, they even have similar logos. Mm-hmm. They've almost replicated that so that if you get an email that is suspect, you can send it to the legitimate PayPal or whatever the other, whatever company and say, I think this is a spam and they they take it from there. That's important because it's for them too. As you say, the bigger businesses and corporations are subject to ransomware and malware as well as the individual consumers. So I love you go right back to be mindful and For me, I know, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, that when we are sitting at our computers, if we're not at a specific task, and we're surfing, we're kind of in almost a mindless zone. We just do it so much, so often, that we might forget and click on the wrong thing or go, oh, this looks good, and not be alert. So I love the fact that you're reminding us to be mindful, reminding us about backups. You're reminding us about passwords. Anything else you want to say? That means you have to come back to talk about AI. (laughs) I would love to. I always enjoy our conversations. And there is so much around the, the realm of technology that we can branch into. Plain and simple is just be mindful. I've said that throughout our conversations. And I think that's just a key point I want to drive home because you're right. We are immersed in technology and every day 
day-to-day life. We carry smartphones in our pockets. We have the power of the internet in our hands. I find it funny just because as we see the younger generations, and I had this conversation, I'm off on a tangent here a little bit. I was having this conversation today, and we're trying to figure out this actor in a movie, and we're sitting there having this back and forth. And then we both stopped and said, we could Google it. But it, <laughs> it was funny to us. We are so attached to our devices for everything that we do, from finding directions to a restaurant, to looking up yes. a number, to ordering Amazon to our doorstep, even our social media. And the thing about it is you're right. We can get complacent. We just kind of scroll through. We click. We're like, oh my gosh, guilty is charged. I end up in kind of a, a tab rabbit hole, shall we say, you know, where you start <laughs> clicking. The next thing you know, your browser has fi- 55 tabs open. I think you laugh because I think we can relate on oh, that. But Oh, we- well, yes. Absolutely. My husband comes in and looks at my desktop on the computer and he just, his eyes roll back. How can you do that? Oh, but I have to have them open. It's because I might go back to tab number three and number seven and yes, yes, yes. We get caught up. Just be mindful. You know, it just it, it's easy to get caught up in technology and it's there. I, I'm in this career. I'm in this realm because I love what I do. I love being able to make lives better for folks in any way possible by leveraging technology. And that's been a passion of mine since I started my career 20 plus years ago. I really enjoy talking to folks about technology and really understanding how we can do better. I want to make sure that folks know that, you know, it's a powerful tool that can be utilized to make lives better, but unfortunately can be exploited for bad as we talked a little bit about today. So just be mindful. And if you ever have questions about technology. There are resources through various government entities that provide resource guides and you can search Federal Trade Commission. It's one of the agencies that has different FAQs about technology and phishing and ransomware, which, you know, you can do a quick Google search. The reality is at the end of the day, use technology. I'm here for it. Just be mindful of it. Be cautious as you're browsing. If it doesn't look right, then Just do a little bit more digging before you click on that link or before you reply and you'll be fine. I think by the, by the most part, again, people just taking that second to double check, verify, you'll be all right. That sounds great. And then installment three, we're going to talk about AI, artificial intelligence and the positive side of technology. Cause a lot of what we've been talking about is being preventative or informative, but I'm going to close with one little tidbit of AI, just because I know you love it so sure. much. So a couple of weeks ago in June, Sir Paul McCartney of the Beatles is now tapping into AI to isolate John Lennon's voice from a demo that was cut before he passed away. And it's going to be the final, final, final Beatles song. And it's going to be released later this year. So I have a a joke for you. Do you know where all the Beatles LPs are stored? No. (laughs) In the Lennon closet. I read that article and I was say I was excited about that. That's amazing. It is very exciting. We get to talk about that or more when you return with us and we can talk more about AI because by then, what is it tomorrow? There'll be something new in the on the AI field that we can share. Tim, thank you for taking time out of your busy day. And I look forward to our next visit. I look forward to it as well. Again, I am very humbled and always just so glad to have a chat with you, Duchess. Thank you for having me back again. And We'll see you soon. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is sponsored by the Aging and Long-Term Services Department of New Mexico. 
on your favorite streaming platform, subscribe or follow to receive a reminder of new episodes. You can also share this free podcast with family and friends. Our music was written and sung by New Mexico's Lydia Clark. I'm your announcer, Don Converse. Till next time, remember to reconnect, recommit, and rewire. We've got information and inspiration.